I think too often when we think about the fruit, we see it just from a traffic leads sales perspective. Well, specifically traffic and leads. And we see it from a marketing light, in other words. That fundamentally is flawed because I believe inbound is a sales conversation first, a marketing conversation second. Welcome back to Leading Matters. I am so, I do it all the time. I'm like, man, I love this episode. You're going to love this episode uh, because I love the episodes. You know, when I started this, I started this show, geez, I guess I want to say 2015, mid 2015. It was just kind of an experiment. I was kind of dabbling in it. But slowly I was able to um, build it out, then maybe 50 or so episodes, uh, probably by the time you hear this one. And what I've discovered, and listen, the show's called Leading Matters, and it brings leaders from all different walks uh, to try to share. And what I try to do is get them to share where their expertise is and tie it into how we should run the mission, the value, and the purpose of our companies or our own business or whatever it is that we're leading, whether it's our own personal careers, right? And every time I get off the uh, phone, I, I, I record these via Skype, I'm like, man, that was a great – like I, if I put myself in your shoes, if I was listening to that episode, I would have been so pumped that I listened to it. I would go look the person up, uh, you know, find out what they got going on. I'd download whatever they were offering via the, um, the show notes, uh, read a book, the book that they've written if they've read a, if they've written a book. And I probably listened to some of these episodes again. And, and even in the ones, like I had a woman called Gail Dines on in 2016, and she, her mission is to treat pornography as if it were a public health issue. And it was a fascinating conversation. And it got into talking about, hey, what's the moral responsibility of business leaders? So I was like, man, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good question. Wherever you might fall on that in, issue, it's like, hey, how far does my moral responsibility go as leaders? Anyway, why do I go on about this? Because today I had Marcus Sheridan on. You'll hear more of who he is when we get into the intro. But I've known Mark. He doesn't really know me. I know him from his work. We've met a couple of times. But he is an expert at content marketing. He's saved the business through it. And now he's consulting and he does some great stuff. And I asked him on because I've seen his message mature over the years that I've been paying attention to him. And he's at a point now where he's really hammering on the sales side of the equation where sales needs to take more ownership of content, get into the game, contribute more to the content, and that marketing, on the other hand, needs to see content first as a sales enabling tool and secondly as a lead generating device. So it is a fascinating and compelling conversation, and you're going to love it. You are going to love it. So do me a favor. I always ask this, and I really want to ask you to to share it. Share it with that one person in your life, that one person at your company, that one person that you work with, or that one person you professionally network with that you know needs to hear Marcus's message today. So listen, this is early in 2017, and we got a whole year ahead of us, right? And everybody's just coming off the New Year's resolution thing, or we're going to do these things differently today. Add this one to your list to say, hey, I'm going to... There's a little exercise at the end that Marcus has for everyone, that everyone can do. Listen to that exercise at the end and do it. And do me a favor, let me know how it went. Let me know if it made a difference. Let Marcus know if it made a difference. And most importantly... Enjoy this next 30-minute conversation with Marcus Sheridan. 
So my guest today had a swimming pool company, and it was in more than a little bit of trouble in the middle of the Great Recession. Uh, the company took it on the chin pretty hard, and he faced some dire straits, so he knows what it's like to stand on the edge and look into the abyss. But at that time, he stumbled across a new marketing technique, a software, and really a community that motivated him to start educating his marketplace by answering the typical questions that customers would have when making a swimming pool purchase. So with this new marketing technique, inbound marketing, the business was not only saved, but today is one of the most highly trafficked swimming pool websites literally in the world. So now let's fast forward to today, and he's on uh, his second business now, leading a very successful business of training, coaching, consulting to other businesses that want to get serious about harnessing the power of content and inbound marketing. He's a frequent guest on the speaking circuit, and he's got a new book coming out in January of this year, of 2017, and it is called They Ask, You Answered. He is Marcus Sheridan. I have to say I'm a fan of his work, and I'm really, really happy to have him on the show with me today. So, Marcus, thank you for joining me today on Leading Matters. Man, it's, it's my pleasure, bud, and uh, thrilled to be here. Hopefully, I'll say something <laughs> that uh, resonates with the audience, but I think we'll have a great time. Look, I, I know we will, Marcus, because I, I know you have a passion for, for the topics here. So let me start off by just letting you know that my, my audience is actually ironically diverse. There's there's really uh, a lot of like solopreneurs and, and one-man band type of folks, but also it, it includes large enterprise businesses as well. And they're always eager to gain like new leadership insight ideas. So in that context, with that broad and diverse an audience, I want to start by asking you this question. Do you think there's any business, Marcus, large or small, that that your approach won't work for? Well, so, okay, so the question becomes, you know, what is the approach? And my, my philosophy is that we need to be the best teachers in the world if we want to become the most trusted voice in our space. In order to become the best teacher in the world, we've got to be obsessive listeners to the questions that we're being asked. And whether they're good, bad, or ugly questions, we've got to be willing to address them. And that might come in the form of text. It might come in the form of video. might be audio like we're doing right now. But we've got to be willing to address the thing. And so the question is, when does great teaching and problem solving, when does that not apply to a business? And more often than not, um, well, let me just say, I've never seen a case where it didn't uh, it didn't have relevance. Now, I would say, though, that there are occasions where you might have a business-to-government situation, Joel, where everything is an RFP and and there literally is no usage of the Internet whatsoever mm. in, terms of, in terms of contract or vendor identification. Now, that in and of itself is um, has been greatly diminished over the last few years. In fact... Um, it's a proven fact at this point that there's a lot of contractor acquisition in the B2G space that is happening online today. Mm. And so I think if the internet exists in the industry, well, then great teaching and earning trust is extremely relevant. Well, what about the level of patience that's required, right? Because I mean, it's, it's not something where you like flip a switch and all of a sudden these leads start pouring in. I mean, it, I've talked to, I had uh, last year, or early part of 2016, I had Joe Plitzi on the on the show and 
he was talking about the necessity, especially if you have a long view of this, right? In other words, it's for the, the true believers, if you will, they see it as almost an ideological way to run the business because it changes really literally everything. And, and again, I don't want to keep dropping names here, but right after, the, literally the week after I had Joe on, I had um, Jay Bear on. And he had just written this book, Hug Your Haters. And, and what was ironic in both their discussions was that, listen, there's so much isolation still in business today that to really be an ideologically pure, if that's the right word, inbound content marketing practice, uh, you have to understand and realize that these uh, these these silos exist. It takes a long time to realize some of the fruit of what you're doing, so you can't be frustrated by the silos, right? I know it's a long question, but the, but but I guess that the heart of it is how much patience is really required for us to start to see the fruit of educating the marketplace. Yeah, well, see, I think too often when we think about the fruit. We see it just from a traffic leads sales perspective. Well, specifically traffic and leads. And we see it from a marketing light, in other words. That fundamentally is flawed because I believe inbound is a sales conversation first, a marketing conversation second. Mm, I agree, yeah. Same with content. Same with content. So let me give an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say that you start a content marketing initiative this week and you immediately dive into video, Okay. And so as part of that, you have a full-time videographer, let's just be hypothetical, and you shoot um, videos with your sales team. Now, if you're smart, the first set of videos that you shoot are questions where, you know, what we have found in most sales appointments, let's call it the first call or first presentation, sure. most, um, 80% of the time, the questions are the same. So in other words, let's say you do in-home sales or you, you go to different offices and you sell whatever that thing is that you sell. Generally speaking, if you sell a particular product or service, 80% of the questions you get on that first meeting are the same questions. And so if you embrace video-based content marketing, you say, okay, we're going to answer these 80% of questions that we get. And we're going to make sure that before we get there, for now on, that this person has at least been delivered the videos and they've been given the chance to watch them. In fact, we challenge them to watch them before we even come out, right? And so that is using content to either push people down or out of mm. the funnel as soon as possible. That in and of itself can create results immediately, Joel, immediately. Yeah, yeah. And it's not discussed enough. And the second element to this immediate results is as soon as you start to integrate your sales team as subject matter experts and you have them producing content, they naturally become better at their job. Mm. Let me give an example. So let's say that um, a salesperson does a video on a particular prospect question today um, during work. And that night, that salesperson meets with a prospect and the prospect answers again, excuse me, asks again that same question. What will happen is because the salesperson has literally practiced it in that video-based setting, they've refined it in such a way that they are now answering it at a higher level. Their communication is at a higher level. And so because of that, they are more effective at their job. That again can happen very, very quickly if a company embraces content in the philosophy of we're going to be the best teachers in the world. You know, I love that because I I see, you know, I was reading um, every year I look at the inbound uh, report that comes from HubSpot, and I thought it was pretty stark this year because they really dove into the sales side of the equation. 
And they, I well, think, it's they, about time. Yeah, right. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's call a spade a spade. They're late to the game. The biggest mistake that HubSpot made is they called all this stuff marketing automation. And the fact of the matter is, if you want to get something approved in business, you call it sales. If you want to get it rejected, you call it marketing. <laughs> and that was a big, that was a vernacular mistake from the very beginning. They weren't the only ones. But um, this is a sales tool. I, I pitch and describe HubSpot when I talk to companies as a sales t- tool. Not enough companies yes. see it in that light. Now, I agree, you know, because I, I – and this is what I was getting at is that one of the most glaring stats in that report was that only – I think sales in a best-case scenario, and this is well-oiled, you know, a lot of good relationships between marketing and sales. In the best-case scenario, sales is only using – inbound leads that are coming from the marketing department 26% of the time spending more than that you know 75 plus percent of the time prospecting and getting leads into their own sales process on their own so what you just described that's exactly what you just described is hey let's use content at the front end of this forget about the marketing process for a second let's use it at the front end of the sales process to get the conversation going in a way that's going to help me nurture that you know, an honest to goodness lead because look there's not a sales manager in the world that is going to put anything in the pipeline line if it's not real, if it's not tangible, if it doesn't actually have a budget tied to it, right? Now I'm just talking about bigger companies that have a, a sales manager. So I really like that you're, you're, you said, listen, you want immediate results? Put this in the hands of the sales team and get them creating and participating in content creation. But I guess the question in there lies is that what, you know, it, do you have to dupe them into you know, starting to create the content and participate in because I still see that kind of gap between marketing and sales where sales is kind of begrudgingly gets involved in the creation. There's no kind of, Joel, there's no kind of. They are. <laughs> they they resist this. In this, not bad content or not bad campaigns, this conversation right now is the biggest problem for businesses around the world when it comes to sales and marketing. And that is you don't have sales and marketing alignment and therefore you don't have sales enablement because enablement means they understand what's happening with today's digital buyer and consumer. Mm. Because if sales really gets it, they are they are saying to marketing, we need your help and how can I help you? If sales gets it, they understand that on average, 70% of the buying decision is made before someone even talks to them. Mm. They understand, therefore, that they are really only impacting 30% of the actual sale. And if if they get this, they are, they're saying, how can I get involved in this, quote, sales process sooner because I'm losing influence, and I want to get it back. And the only way you get it back is if you get it on the side of marketing. You know what's sad, man, is you have this misalignment because, number one, marketers have failed to communicate the thing. And this is why, hypothetically, let's say let's say uh, someone contacts me, Joel, and, they, and they're like, you know, Marcus, we want your help. We want to embrace your philosophies. Can you help us? I say, yes, but. To start, we have to have a workshop. Your sales team has to be there. And at least one or more people from leadership has to be there as well. And I don't really care if your marketing team's there or not because they're already drinking the Kool-Aid. Sure. You go to you go to inbound, what percentage of the people there are from the sales side of the business? Always less than 10%. 
you know, you know, it's dramatically more important that your sales team goes to inbound or content marketing world or you name the conference versus your marketing team. Because what happens is marketing teams go to these events, they get great ideas, they bring it back to the office, and then somebody rains on their parade the following Monday and nothing ever really happens. It's a crying shame. If I had a dollar for every email that I've received from a frustrated marketer that's like, man, I just can't seem to get my team to get it, I'd be a millionaire. And that's why you know, most of my stuff has been going into organizations, getting all the groups together giving them the vision so that, as Simon Sinek would say, they get the what, the how, and the why. If you go to most salespeople right now in the world, 99%, and you even say, what is content marketing? They'll have no idea. They yeah. won't be able to explain it. Why are we producing this content? They won't be able to explain it. It's crazy, man. Well, look, I got to tell you, as I hear you describe that, I mean, look, just from, from your business perspective, I mean, that's a tough sell, right? I mean, like, because getting both – the sales and marketing teams aligned, you know, who's got the budget? How do you get them to sign up for that? How do you get people's commitment to actually come to a workshop? I mean, do you find it, and I gotta make a very practical question here. I mean, as as your business develops and grows, is it difficult for you to sell that? Well, I think that uh, there's plenty of companies that don't get it and they try to shortcut or circumvent, right? And so they'll try to – they won't give everybody the vision, and they'll get resistance. Now, at the same time, this is an utopia, right? So in other words, let's say you give a great workshop, and everybody says, sure, we need to participate. We get it. We understand how the buyer has changed. We understand how sales is changing. This doesn't mean that you don't make sure that they are engaged in the process. For example, I've never seen a company – have a culture of using a CRM well unless unless entering data into the CRM by the sales team was tied to their compensation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until I it is. I could, I could completely agree with that. They resist. Yeah. They just don't do it. You can't make it optional. You can't make it optional. And so it's funny to me that we make things like CRMs required, but when it comes to participating with the marketing team to produce content from the subject matter experts – now all of a sudden we say, well, you know, we shouldn't really force them to do that. No way. Yeah. yeah. We should absolutely make it part of the job description. I can say that because I've been a part of some world-class case studies for lots of diverse companies, B2B and B2C, service and products, bigs and smalls. Sure. I've seen how this works, and that fundamentally doesn't change. Well, listen, within that too, as is, is you, you kind of discuss the necessity of, of making things mandatory or else things don't get done, right? Is is it also a case? This is kind of what I've been running about, you know, the past couple of months. Is that I call it the tyranny of metrics, right? Look, marketing metrics are great, but the only people that really care about marketing metrics are marketers, right? In other words, the sales, uh, even if they have a service level agreement between marketing and sales, which I think is a little bit of nonsense in my own opinion, right? Even if that exists, right, the quality of lead doesn't matter to the sales team unless and until it's actually in their pipeline, right? So, I mean, and then what I think it's bred, and again, this is completely my my opinion here, but I think it's bred is a lot of mediocrity within the content game, right? Because as long as we're pumping out, you know, visits and conversions and our MQLs to SQL ratio, that's for those that don't know, is marketing qualified lead to sales qualified lead. As long as that ratio is moving in the right direction, hey, we're great, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, good as gold, and we're, we're doing our job. I mean, do you think there's something to that, that the metrics have locked us into mediocrity? I think 
I think mediocrity is just it more stems from from vision. And you know, I if somebody doesn't have vision, if you lack leadership, usually you have mediocrity. And you know, I look at I look at what's happening. In many, many organizations, I hear – so like I hear companies saying – sales teams will say, yeah, our um, internet leads aren't very good. They're not high quality. <laughs> I laugh to myself because here's the reality. Leads are as good or as bad as the messaging and the content that brought them there. And so if you're getting bad leads through the internet, it's because you're a poor communicator. That's a fact. That's a fact. If you're getting good leads, it means that you've communicated your value prop, who you are and who you're not well. This is why it's more important that you as a company say what you're not on your website than what you are. But you see, 99% of companies, the only thing they do is they say what they are, and then they wonder why they don't always get great leads. And this goes back to that philosophy of they ask, you answer. This goes back to being willing to address the good, the bad, and the ugly the hard questions, the things that we say, well, maybe we should save that for when they're talking face-to-face -face with the salesperson. No, you shouldn't save it because the reality is you'll probably lose them and you'll never get a chance to save it in the first place. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying the discussion, Marcus, because I, I – and I want to bring up the, your um, your video blog now, right, because I think it's a good opportunity to do that because I've I've watched your work from since like 2010, let's say, and I've seen it mature to this point, right? We are talking about vision and, and, and leadership and the impact that it has on, on rising above the mediocrity and, and really diving hardcore into what it means to truly communicate and, and the, the necessity of that collaboration between sales and marketing. And I've discovered that 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 message from you has gotten so much more mature by watching a recent episode of your your video series called uh, The Balance. And for those who haven't seen it yet, you can check it out at Marcus's YouTube page or on his um, the, the salesline.com. It's uh, occasional. I don't think it's weekly. An occasional video blog where he actually is kind of showing you his day to day and things he does. And there was one episode where you were talking to a woman and you were walking her through some pretty tough questions about about the impact that her work has on people. And I, I guess what my question is here is, that that's, that's a pretty bold step to get out there and blog over video the way you've been doing it. So I'm, I'm curious to know why, what was the decision? Like, what was the inflection point for you that said, yes, I'm going to lay some bets here, I'm going to go all in on it, and I'm going to actually make it a part of what I do? I mean, what, what, what was it for you that decided, that made you decide to go ahead and start doing those things? I think there's a I think there's a few different answers to this. So so the balance is obviously it stems from this concept of of work life and making the two work together. I've seen a lot of unhappy quote successful people. So you and I might call somebody successful, but because they're not fulfilled internally, they are not happy. And it's a huge problem in the business world. In general, just it, for all of us in every industry, this is a big time problem. And so I said, you know, nobody's talking about this. You know, I was once with a group and I asked them, I said, do any of you all watch the Daily V? And almost everybody raised their hand. I said, does anybody here ever get depressed after watching the Daily V? 
and another whole set of people raise their hand. And by the way, I love Gary, and I think the Daily V is great, but what's what's happening is if we're not careful, there's a lot of people that – some of the messaging out there is um, if you're not grinding all the time, you can't be happy and you can't be successful. The pinnacle of greatness is just throwing yourself in your work 24-7, 365, and just going at it. And I fundamentally don't believe that's the case because – hypothetically, if if you crush it outside of the home, but you failed within the walls of your own home, are you successful? Well, I'm not going to answer that, but that's for each person to decide. So I wanted to show my journey of trying to attain both. I want to win in the home personally, and I want to win professionally as well. And that means you sacrifice on both ends. I might not become a New York Times bestselling author as soon as I would like, mm-hmm. where I might not, you know, I might not be a, a, an A-lister um, as quickly as I would like. These are things that people think about, but you know, we're, we're constantly comparing ourselves, Joel, online with with all these leaders. It's so dangerous because, really, I think we should be comparing ourselves just with the mirror and saying. Am, how do my how do my kids feel about the relationship with me? How does my spouse or how do my loved ones? Um, am I right personally? Do I feel at peace and do I feel fulfilled? That's what the balance is about. It's been very re- rewarding, and it was just a prompting. It's a labor of love. You know, it, it's kind of like a field of dreams thing. It's like okay, if you do it, you'll figure out why you're mm-hmm. supposed to be doing it. Mm-hmm. To me, that's much of this journey as a teacher and as a communicator. We have to start walking the trail before we can see where the trail leads. And um, the balance has been uh, very rewarding for me uh, in that regard. And I've gotten some incredibly intimate emails because of it. So, Marcus, it's it's interesting that you you talk about it that way, right? Because it gives me some of the backstory and idea and a sense for why you started doing it. The fact that you experiment with media a little bit. And I got to tell you, as as somebody outside looking in – especially looking at that one episode. And for those that are listening, it's uh, it's episode number 26 that I think you should go take a look of, of The Balance. And and what I'm curious about here for my listeners, you know, especially so much talked about with video, right? You, you kind of take an experimental approach here. But what I'm noticing, and I want my audience to notice, is that it wasn't purely, hey, here's more of Marcus Sheridan, the business, the sales line, what we do, the questions and the answers. It's more of a... It's more of um, a color. It's more color commentary on who you are and, and the impact that your own experiences has on your life and, and your business. And there, in fact, and I think you as a speaker, that adds to your ability to talk more uh, more topics on stage. It, it helps you have more meaningful conversations out in the field or with a new client or whatnot, or even here when we're talking about it on, on a show, right? So with all that packed in, I mean, how, if I'm listening to this, right, and I go look at episode 26, and maybe I didn't know what the Daily V was until right now, and that's Gary Vaynerchuk's daily video blog, right? I go consume all that, and now I'm eager. I want to go do something with that. I mean, mm-hmm. what would you recommend? Like, what's, what, because sometimes I see people get so frozen because they don't know what to do with video, but then I've also seen a lot of bad video also. So how do you strike that balance, not to be, you know, uh, use the pun here, but how do you strike that balance to get good video content going? I mean, should we experiment the way you're talking about, or what, what do you think? I, let me just say this. I'm a fan of bad video. I'm a huge fan. Um, and that's be, 
because I went through a period of producing bad video back in the day because I had to. Mm -hmm. I went through a period of bad writing because I didn't know how yeah, to yeah, do the yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of this quest of perfection that is espoused by some within the digital and the content space of if it's if it's already been said, don't say it. If it's not awesome, don't produce it. I'm like, who the heck made any any of us gods to judge whether or not a piece of content is awesome? Like what defines awesome content, by the way? Because to me, what, what makes something awesome is if somebody watches it or listens to it or reads it and nods their head and says, huh, okay, now I feel like I understand. To me, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And some of us, because we're at a, an advanced level with the topic, we could read something or watch something and say, that was terrible. That was boring. Yeah. Next person would say, that was powerful. This is, I see this all the time. And so I think we've got to be careful about that. I think a lot of people, Joel, are not producing their art because they're too worried it's not good enough. I put that in quotes for, um, for what they're hearing from thought leaders. And I would rather tell people, go create your art. The goal is to get better each time. But that means you got to crawl before you walk. And too many people are teaching, you just need to start walking. No crawling, just yeah, walking. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I think that's, you know, it's funny. I, I do this um, weekly, yeah, it's somewhat weekly video series. I call it Caps CarCast. I have a little mounted camera. You put my phone in the car and I kind of chat it for, for three, two minutes. But I got to tell you, of all my content, it's the one thing that people always mention to me when I'm with them face to face. Like I could be, you know, run into somebody I hadn't seen in a couple years and I haven't heard from them email or I don't see them on social at all. And all of a sudden they, they tell me they've watched three or four of my episodes and they could tell and spit back to me what I've been saying and they have a comment on it and they, t they either love it or hate it. They have a strong opinion one way or the other. And what I'm finding with video, and I'm wondering if you would agree, is that it is by far the most engaging thing you could do because people just generally will give up their time to watch it. They'll have they'll immediately have a feeling about it and they'll remember it. I mean, has that been your experience? My feeling with video is is this. At this point in 2017 and beyond, if we can't show it, whatever it is, it doesn't exist. Case in point, every company says it's our people that make us different. We have amazing people. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> if everybody says they have amazing people, well, then nobody has amazing people because everybody's saying it. So it doesn't count until you show it. Mm. If you can show me how and why your people, your team are amazing, now I will believe it. But if you just if you just state it, if you just write it like everybody else, it doesn't yet exist. And so, you know, I'm on this quest, especially with all of our clients at this point, is can we show the thing better than we currently do? And almost always the answer is yes. Yes, we can. We've got to graduate past just text. And I appreciate text, but we've got to become media companies. Mm. We've got to become visual storytellers. And this is why I believe most companies should have a full-time videographer at this point. And I don't have a lot of compassion for those that say, well, we're just not big enough. I mean, the sales line is a smaller company. 
it's only got uh, four full-time employees. One of them is a videographer. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, River Pools does $8 million a year. We have a full-time videographer. It's just the way that it, it has to be at this point um, because it's too important not to do it. I cannot imagine um, not not embracing video right now because besides that, Joel, if we don't figure out how to do video now, today, we definitely won't be ready for virtual tomorrow. Mm. Virtual is going to be much bigger than social media was. You think so? Oh, no doubt. And anybody that has done virtual that's that's good, not some of those $20 pieces of junk that, that are out there. Sure. But if you've done good virtual, you quickly realize, oh, my goodness, the world will never be the same again. Well, give me an example on that, right? I'm curious because like, like, I, I don't have a I have a motto with River Pools this year. The model is very cut and dry. Our goal is that we want our prospects or our potential customers to swim in the pool before they swim in the pool. Now, how does that happen? That happens when my sales team walks into the house and little Johnny's sitting there with his mom and dad. Mm -hmm. and they all look and they pick a pool. And I'm able to say to Johnny, of course, I don't sell anymore. I'm just a silent partner with yeah. Liverpool. But one of my sales teams says, "All right, Johnny, you want to take a, you want to go for a quick swim? You want to see what it's like in that pool? You want to see the steps? You want to see the, the, the waterfall? You want to see what it's like underwater? Well, let's take a swim." And he puts those goggles on, and he experiences it. It's no different than, and this is, it's a very hard thing to explain. It's kind of like explaining childbirth to somebody that's never seen it. <laughs> Right, just like I can't explain how bad childbirth hurts because I didn't experience it. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so, unless you've done good VR, it's hard to conceptualize. It's no different than you know, if 30 years ago you would, if you would have said, you know, you'd be able to just to say a question out loud, and artificial intelligence will give you an answer, and at any point in time, you'll just be able to get any answer that you want, and you'll probably never read again. Like, that would have sound stupidly ridiculous to all of us, and that's like every every kid in the world right now is at that point, yeah, right? Right? Yeah. right? That's just how it's happening. It's already happening. And so it's going to be bigger than social. It's the second wave of the internet. Wow. No, that's, that's good. It's the first uh, really passionate uh, argument I heard for that, so I'll have to keep my eye on that. So, Marcus, I know you have a book coming out, so tell my audience uh, about the book, when it's uh, to be released, and what it's all about. Yeah, so so They Ask You Answer really is a philosophy, a philosophy about the way that we do sales and the way that we do marketing. And we've had a lot of content marketing books out there, but we haven't had one that was address at both ends hardcore. Um, it's very tactical as well. And it talks about the story of how I took river pools from near bankruptcy, like you mentioned earlier, to what is today the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. Today we're manufacturing pools as well. We're a B2B, we're a B2C. And we did that philosophy at river pools with multiple other companies in very diverse industries. And so we have those companies as case studies in the book, mm. all of our clients, and we're able to show the specific results. And, of course, everybody has monetary revenue-based results that we're able to show by following these philosophies. And the core thing is this. It's about erasing 
the doubts, the issues, the concerns, and the worries by owning the elephants, the elephants in the room that everybody has. Can you turn them into an advantage versus a disadvantage? It's possible if we're willing to do it. And so you can get it on Amazon. All you have to do is go there and you just type the ask you answer. And if you're looking to get buy-in from sales, this is the book that you want. And if you're looking to take your content strategy to the next level, I think you're going to love the ask you answer. Very good. Well, I will definitely link it up uh, in the show notes and and make sure that the audience knows where to to pick it up. Uh, Listen, Marcus, I do have one last question for you because I get this question a lot from, from people that I work with. And especially if they're just getting serious about, about content. Maybe they've been dabbling, but they really want to break through, right? What, what, is, what is the one thing, and I'm sure you get the, the question, right, about, hey, how do I break through the clutter? How do I break through the noise? And there's so many people saying what I'm saying. There are people answering the same questions that I'm answering. So what is it? Like, what's that golden bullet or silver bullet, if you will? I mean, maybe there isn't one, right? But I'm curious what you, you would say. Here's the best activity that listeners can do with their sales and marketing team this week, okay? I want you to, um, get everybody together and brainstorm the top seven reasons why somebody would not buy from you, assuming they know you exist. In other words, they say to you, Joel, we like you, um, but we decided to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Here's why. What are those top seven reasons? You got to come up with at least seven. All right. So once you've done that, and by the way, just doing that is an outrageously healthy activity that most companies never do. Once you've done that, the next question that you have to ask yourself is, okay, Of these seven, how many have we addressed very well on our website already? And I'll tell you what the average number is for everybody that's listening to this right now because I know. Because I've done this with thousands of people and multiple audiences all over the country, all over the world at this point. And that is two. Two out of seven is what they've addressed on their website and their digital platforms. And so if you can go seven out of seven, that means – that you're now making the rules for your industry instead of following them like everybody else. That means that you're going to be, as Seth Godin would say, a purple cow, that you're going to stand out, and that you're meeting the consumer, the buyer, where they are instead of where you are as the business. That's what it's all about in 2017 and beyond. It's an incredibly powerful activity. It works. Do it. That is a fantastic way to wrap up things. Again, we've been speaking with Marcus Sheridan. The new book is called They Ask You Answer. You could find him at thesaleslion.com. His video series is The Balance. Do yourself a favor. Listen to this one again. Also, go check out Marcus's stuff. you got to learn a thing or two. And next time he's at a conference, make sure you drop a couple dimes to go to that conference and check him out. You're going to be glad that you did. Marcus, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. It's been great. I've enjoyed the conversation. And thanks for sharing your two cents with my audience. My pleasure, buddy.